G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Tuesdays roll around quickly, don't they? And at this time, like clockwork, every week we love to get an update on breaking news headlines as it's happening from overnight with Ron Ross all about what's unfolding in the nation of Israel and throughout those nations of the Middle East which have a direct impact on God's chosen people, the people of Israel. Ron Ross, a special welcome back to 2020. Thank you, Neil. Ron, let's start with the biggest headlines that are dominating around the world, and that is this tension that's going on between Iran and the United States. Now, Donald Trump is downplaying the imminent threat of war with Iran. Yeah, he downplayed fears that he's preparing to go to war with Iran, despite the ongoing conflicts in the region. The president discussed Iran during a meeting at the White House with Prime Minister Imran Khan of Pakistan taking questions from reporters from both countries for about 40 minutes. I think Iran doesn't know where they are. I've been watching and reading a lot of reports. They're a very mixed up country, he said. They don't know whether they're coming or going. They have problems economically. Their country is in turmoil. Trump noted that Iran faces mounting protests and high economic inflation as it continues to defy the United States following his withdrawal from the Iran deal. Trump said Iran employed many lies and propaganda in its media and repeated his claim that the United States shot down an Iranian drone last week despite Iran's denial. Trump also denied Iran's claim that it had uncovered, arrested and detained 17 CIA spies in its country. That's totally a false story. That's another lie, he said. Trump said he was willing to explore a deal with Iran, but disproved of its recent activities in the Middle East. Well, of course, all eyes are on those ship seizures in the Middle East and uh, the temperature is rising between not only the US and Iran, but also the British are in the mix there as well. Uh, Ron, let's talk some other... There, Neil. Sure. Uh, he indicated that the problem with the tanker uh, it belongs to the United Kingdom. And I saw a story this morning that he had offered assistance to Prime Minister May but in deference to the EU, uh, she knocked back the U.S. support. Uh, so that could be a very interesting uh, development. It certainly is. Uh, let's turn our attention to the fact that there is a peace process that's going on in the Middle East and doesn't seem to get a lot of uh, high-profile headlines in a lot of mainstream media, but the U.S. peace team is heading back to Israel next week, Ron. Yeah, and on top of that, uh, Saudi Arabia and Iraqi journalists are in Israel for the first time this week. But on that story, a senior U.S. administration official confirmed on Sunday that U.S. envoys Jared Kushner, Jason Greenblatt, 
Brian Hook and Arvi Berkowitz will travel to the region next week in attempt to keep the momentum of that economic plan. The four will visit Israel, Jordan, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Qatar and the UAE during the first week of August. According to the official, the goal of the visit is to finalise the economic component of the peace plan and to discuss possible resources to fund the administration's vision. Another aspect that the four will raise is where the fund will be based. The peace team wants to locate the fund in Bahrain in an effort to show that the countries in the region are standing behind the plan. We're trying to keep the momentum of the Bahrain workshop, they said. In the past few weeks, the peace team has received feedback to the plan that was presented at the workshop from a number of countries in the region. Now they hope they can conclude this visit with a final version of that plan. Certainly some big stories unfolding in the Middle East. Let's turn some attention, Ron, to the nation of Israel. And we often do like to come around a story or two to do with archaeology because here we are in Australia, Christian believers, and interested in what are those things that are being uncovered in Israel that affirm those truths that we read about in the Bible. So let's turn our attention to an archaeology story or two, a moat has been discovered around Jerusalem and similar to a prophecy from Daniel. Yes, last week archaeologists announced the discovery of an 11th century moat outside the walls of Jerusalem. Researchers believe the moat was from a five-week battle for Jerusalem between Crusader armies and the Fatimid Caliphate, which controlled the region in 1099 CE. According to historical accounts, the Muslim defenders dug the moat to protect against French crusaders attacking from the south. The French count promised golden dinars to all crusaders who would help fill the ditch so he could build a stable siege tower against the wall. Archaeologists were working at uncovering a ditch when they noticed that the dirt layers were not sloping away from the city wall, but rather towards it. It could be that this moat described by Josephus was the one mentioned in the prophecy in the book of Daniel, whose reconstruction was a necessary component signifying the return of the Jews from the Babylonian exile, a prophecy so difficult and complex that Daniel himself was wrought with self-doubt over how to understand it. Rabbi Tobia Singer, who has taught Torah around the world, emphasized that the only way to understand the prophecy was to see it from Daniel's perspective. The context is that Daniel is standing in the first year of Darius the Mede, the father-in-law of Cyrus, Rabbi Singer explained to Breaking Israel News. The Babylonian Empire collapses and the Persian Empire emerges. Darius the Mede is mentioned in the book of Daniel as king of Babylon between Belshazzar and Cyrus the Great, but he is not known to history, and no additional king can be placed between the known figures of Belshazzar and Cyrus. Most scholars view him as a literary fiction, but biblical scholars rely on Daniel's account as being factually accurate. Cyrus tells the Jews to go back to Israel 50 years after the destruction of the first temple, Rabbi Singer explained. But Daniel has a problem. Although the Babylonian Empire has collapsed, the Jews are not going back. 
Daniel is petrified because of what is written in the book of Leviticus. I will act against you in wrathful hostility. I, for my part, will discipline you sevenfold for your sins, Leviticus 26:28. Daniel is afraid that if the Jews refuse to return to Israel, the exile will begin seven times seventy, Rabbi Singer said. Well, it is fascinating, Ron, and from moats and biblical prophecy to ancient papyrus. Uh, let's talk about some words discovered, the words like, I pray that you fare well in the Lord. What does an ancient papyrus reveal about Christians in 230 AD? Well, an Egyptian papyrus in the University of Basel's collection in Basel, Switzerland, is very unique from all the other ancient papers in the collection. The papyrus contains a letter providing valuable insights into the world of the first Christians in the Roman Empire, not found anywhere else. The letter dates to the 230s AD and is older than all previously known Christian sources from Roman Egypt. The earliest Christians in the Roman Empire are usually portrayed as eccentrics, who withdrew from the world and were threatened by persecution. However, the letter contains indications that in the early 3rd century, Christians were living outside the cities in the Egyptian hinterland, where they held political leadership positions and dealt with their pagan environment in their everyday lives. The papyrus has been in the collection of the university for more than 100 years. It's a letter from a man, Arianus, to his brother Paulus, the document stands out from the mass of preserved letters of Greco-Roman Egypt by its concluded greeting. After reporting on day-to-day family matters and asking for the best fish sauce as a souvenir, the writer uses the last line to express his wish that his brother will prosper in the Lord. The author used the abbreviated phrase of the Christian phrase, I pray that you felt well in the Lord. The use of this abbreviation, known as Nomen Sacrum, in this context, leaves no doubt about the Christian beliefs of the letter writer, explained Sabine Hubner, professor of ancient history at the university. It's an exclusively Christian formula that we are familiar with from New Testament manuscripts. The name of the brother is also revealing, since he may have been named after the famous St. Paul. Well, amazing, isn't it, how the sayings of the day prove the authenticity of the author of a document and uh, fabulous stuff there, Ron. Hey, there's an ancient Galilee church that's been unearthed and said to be the home of the apostles Peter and Andrew. Their excavation in Israel's Galilee have uncovered remains of an ancient church said to mark the home of Peter and Andrew, the Diggs archaeological director said. Mordecai Abiam of Kinneret Academic College on the shore of the Sea of Galilee in the northern Israel said this season's dig at nearby El Araj confirmed it as the site of Bethsaida, a fishing village where Peter and his brother Andrew were born according to the Gospel of John. The Byzantine church was found near remnants of a Roman-era settlement matching the location of Bethsaida as described by the 1st century AD Roman historian Flavius Josephus, Avium said. The newly discovered church, he added, fitted the account of Willebrand, the Bavarian bishop of Eichstatt, 
who visited the area around 725 AD and reported that a church at Bethsaida had been built on the site of Peter and Andrew's home. According to Willibrand, ABM says Bethsaida lay between the biblical sites of Capernaum and Kersey. We excavated only one-third of the church, a bit less, but we have a church, that's for sure. And Ron, finally, let's talk about what for some is their favourite topic or their favourite food to consume, and that is chocolate. What is it about a piece of chocolate? Holocaust survivor Francine Christophe was born in Paris, August 18, 1933. While attempting to flee the Nazis in 1942, Francine and her mother Marcel were arrested and eventually deported to the Bergen-Belsen concentration camp in 1944. Marcel kept two small pieces of chocolate for her daughter to use when she was helpless and in need of energy. But when Helen, a fellow inmate who was pregnant and emaciated, went into labour, the Christoph ladies gave her their chocolate for strength. Helen gave birth to a baby girl. Both survived. Decades later, Francine organised a conference on the topic of survivors and mental health. When a psychologist from Marseille got on stage, she said she had something for Francine. She placed a piece of chocolate in Francine's hand and said, I am that baby. Well, it is always so good. Uh, Ron, you deliver every week informative stories and fascinating stories and always appreciate your input. Thanks so much for scouring the headlines overnight and bringing us the latest breaking news out of Israel and the Middle East. Ron Ross, we'll talk again next week, but thanks so much for being with us once again today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.